The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Nine after 11 o'clock, welcome to the third and final hour of The Talking Point. So coming up in this hour, we'll be in conversation with Dr. Patrick Ngasa-Piotti. Uh, we'll be talking about diabetes, focusing on um, the prevalence of diabetes, with November specifically being Diabetes Month. And, you know, diabetes is South Africa's second highest killer after tuberculosis and when we look at how the figures have just increased you know there seems to have been an astronomical uh, increase when it comes to how diabetes is affecting um, the South African population and the number of factors behind it. Uh, Dr. Patrick good morning to you thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning Kachi good morning to your audience. And Dr. Patrick is the Senior Program Manager at the University of Pretoria's Diabetes Research Program. So, you know, firstly, let's just start with what, uh, I mean, I think are really alarming levels when it comes to the increase of diabetes in the South African population. So in, in 2010, we had a prevalence rate of South Africa of 4.5% of diabetes, 2019, almost, you know, just shy of a decade later, that figure has more than doubled. Um, it now, you know, it's it, in 2019, it was sitting at 12.7%. I imagine now it, it could likely be higher. Yes, Katie, it's indeed concerning that um, the, the diabetes cases are increasing in that manner in South Africa. But what we need to know is that the first point that I want to make, these numbers that you just quoted might still be an underestimation of what is actually happening on the ground, is what, what of the population is actually uh, experiencing because uh, the, 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 the surveillance or what you can call the tracking of diabetes cases in the country is not up to par. So these estimates that you mentioned are released by an international organization and they are based on, on, on limited studies. So we cannot really say that we, we know the big picture, but what we know for sure is that indeed there is an increase in the number of people living with diabetes in South Africa. And that increase is will even get worse because the same organization that are, is releasing those data is predicting that in the coming 10 to 20 years, we're going to have an increase by 130% or, or, or thereabouts of cases of, of diabetes in sub-Saharan Africa, including South Africa. What are the driving factors behind this? Because when we look at, again, just issues of, 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 of prevalence and in particular demographic, right, we see that um, it's, it's the leading cause of, 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 of death in, in women. Um, and of course, you know, it, it, women also seem to be suffering the most from um, diabetes, in particular type 2 diabetes in the region, in sub-Saharan mm-hmm. Africa. What's driving that? Yeah, the factors driving the diabetes uh, crisis in South Africa and in the world are really it's multifactorial. So you have your lifestyle, we have what we call risk factors, including your, the lifestyle, the, the, the fact that we don't sometimes live healthy lifestyles, we don't exercise enough, we don't eat what we're supposed to eat. But then there's also other factors, for example, 
uh, uh, obesity, overweight, uh, being of a certain age, uh, having family, a family history of diabetes, and so on and so forth, being from a certain uh, racial group also. We've, the studies are found that in Indian communities, that prevalence that you quoted is tend to be even higher than what it is in others. So it's really a multifactorial, uh, 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 is, is, multifactorial issues that are fueling the, 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 the epidemic. For example, one will mention urbanization. You will ask me why uh, is urbanization influencing uh, the, the diabetes prevalence is because people flock to urban centers like Houteng and, and, and others, Cape Town, where they are, they sometimes live far from the, the workplace and they take long distance in public transport. When they come back home in the evening, it's late. They tend to eat poorly when they are at work during the day. So urbanization in itself it's what is driving uh, 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 diabetes in sub-Saharan Africa. As you know, we are uh, uh, underdeveloped countries, and as we are trying to get more development, the op job opportunities are limited to certain areas, and people are uprooted from, from what they usually, the, the normal environment, and they have to adapt. And unfortunately, sometimes it's through having a healthy lifestyle. One of the important issues that you've raised is the underreporting um, of diabetes cases that, you know, the figures that we've been talking about are likely higher when we, if we have to take into account the, the, the actual reality. Um, what, what is it necessarily that is driving this underreporting? And, and, you know, is it just that people are not presenting themselves when they're having symptoms or that those symptoms are not easily recognizable as being linked to diabetes? Indeed, Cathy, that is a critical question. It is estimated that one out of two South Africans who are, who are living with diabetes are unaware of their condition. And diabetes has also been uh, typically described as a silent disease. Obviously, diabetes in itself means high level of sugar or glucose in the blood. That in itself might not lead to symptoms immediately. But as the symptoms arises, First of all, the lack of awareness in the communities leads to sometimes diabetes being undiagnosed. Unfortunately, even in the health, among the healthcare providers, it leads also to diabetes sometimes being undiagnosed. So people live longer, long years being, uh, having diabetes, but being unaware of their condition. So that call on effort in terms of screening, it calls of more effort in terms of raising awareness, and, and, and educating the population in, in, with this condition. But the real problem is that you might have diabetes for many, many years. If you are not aware of the, the key symptoms, you might, not, you might completely miss it because you don't feel sick in itself. It's not like flu, it's not like uh, headaches. You don't really feel sick. So as a result, one can go up, uh, 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 about his life and, and without, without picking up the, the, the issue and without even seeking care at the nearest uh, facility. I want to talk about the progression of the disease. So one of the things that has, um, I think, really come up um, in the mainstream uh, that people are, are made to be mindful of, we see adverts also all, all, all of the time on TV around insulin resistance. So what is the connection between insulin resistance type 2 diabetes and type 1 diabetes okay uh, thank you Cathy. 
Uh, first, you need to make a distinction. There might not be a, a connection between insulin resistance and type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is that type of diabetes that occurs usually in a younger person. The mechanism, mechanism is that the pancreas, which is supposed to produce insulin, get destroyed by what we call an autoimmune condition. It's the person's body fighting against itself. As a result of that, the pancreas is destroyed and therefore is not able to produce insulin. And as a result, that person, when they are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, upon the diagnosis, they need to go on insulin and start the injection of insulin. When it comes to type 2 diabetes, it's a completely different mechanism. Type 2 diabetes usually is either the body doesn't produce enough insulin or the body is unable to use the available insulin. And that is why, where you find that issue of insulin resistance that you mentioned. For various factors, for various reasons, the body is not responding to the insulin that is, that is present in the, in, in the blood. That is called, that's what is called in, in lay terms, the insulin resistance. Basically, it's somebody sometimes with an over, overweight or with a high BMI blood, body mass index, it's somebody then who progressively has his body not responding to the insulin that is available in the, in the blood. So the, the symptoms that one experiences, and going back to what you're saying about diabetes being a silent killer, are the symptoms of insulin resistance the same as those of, of, of diabetes? Um, um, I would assume that it depends on the stage. Okay. Obviously, at the initial phases of the insulin resistance, maybe despite the fact that there is a resistance, the body still manages to reduce this, the glucose because everything when it comes to diabetes is related to high level of sugar in the blood. So if the body still manages to regulate that level of glucose or sugar, then the person might not find or might not demonstrate symptoms. But as the situation deteriorates, then the person starts demonstrating symptoms. And th those symptoms, for example, is feeling more thirsty than usual. It's urinating often. It's losing weight without the person being on a specific diet. It's feeling tired or feeling weak, sometimes feeling irritable. So you can see these are not really specific symptoms. And as I would say Africans, because of sometimes the, 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 the hardship that we go through, we tend to brush it away. Oh, I'm just tired because I've been working the whole day. Oh, I, 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 I'm thirsty because it's hot. And you, you can imagine, these are easy uh, 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 symptoms that can be easily uh, pushed under the, the, the carpet. But this and then those are symptoms linked to the fact that now the level of sugar in the blood is high, the body is not regulating, and is starting then to respond to, to those uh, uh, level of sugar. And eventually, if the situation is not uh, managed properly, there are what we call diabetes complications or complications linked to diabetes, to the fact that there is this high level of sugar in the blood. And that is really what we should focus on as healthcare provider and also as the public for people with diabetes. It's about preventing the complication mm. since with diabetes in itself, one can live a healthy life. But once the complication occur, start occurring, that's when really the, the person is in trouble. Dr. Patrick, what does it mean when doctors say that someone is pre-diabetic? 
um, is it not as simple as you're you're either diabetic or or you're not? So, I, that the, the 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 we can call it a stage. Yes, in in, in the bigger scheme of things, one could have described it as di- being diabetes. But the 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 the, the definition or the 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 the, the, the fact that uh, it's it's focused on people now speak of pre-diabetes is because action can still occur to reverse the situation. So basically what happened is that they look at the progression of the disease and they realize that up to this stage, if the person adopts healthy lifestyle, if the person change uh, in terms of the weight and, and, and other things, then they can reverse the condition. So it's that's why they define it as being pre-diabetes in other countries with a lot of resources, they are then targeting those people that are in the pre-diabetes phase so that they can intensify care and they can reverse the, the, the situation. So basically, it's it's you can call it a public health uh, definition just to say we're not just going to consider everybody at the same level because there is this number of people. They are still at the early stages. And if action is taken, we can reverse then their condition and they won't fall fall under the full-blown diabetes stage, as we have been discussing since we started. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, again, just just the the issue of of, of diagnosis, Dr. Patrick, what are often the difficulties that that present um, in in diagnosis? And people sometimes, you know, when we think about diabetes as well, uh, and I'm also saying this based on just uh, some of the questions that have come through, is that we think... Well, if it's all about sugar, how much sugar is too much sugar to have? <laughs> you know, b- because then we also tend to have a paranoia, right? Because now it's like, okay, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe I'm pre-diabetic and I just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when you look at all of these other factors that, that you have listed. If I'm tired, maybe I take that box and I'm, I'm listening to mm-hmm, you speak, I'm ticking mm-hmm. all the boxes. And now the only question that's left is, if the amount of sugar I eat every day is too much, then I should probably be checking myself into a hospital. Mm-hmm. I understand the concern of uh, expressed by the, 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 the listeners. Actually, when I use the word sugar, I've been saying sugar or glucose. Normally, I'm, the, I'm one of the people that we believe in empowering the population. The exact term is glucose. When we say sugar, people tend to think this is the sugar that I put in my coffee. No. Glucose is actually that substance that's derived from all elements, like we call, call, we call it carbohydrates. For example, when you eat bread, the body will break down your bread, and one of the produce will be glucose. When you eat uh, uh, rice, the body will break it down, and one of the, the, the products from that digestion will be glucose. So it's, we're not really meaning the, 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 the glucose, the teaspoon of or the tea, the, the teaspoon of, of, of sugar that we're putting on in the tea. So there are a, lot, a number of, 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 of nutrients that we eat, of, 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 of food that we eat, that gets broken down into, into uh, 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 glucose. They, they call it them carbohydrates. So that's caused about healthy diets. When you eat, normally there is a, a picture of a plate that you divide in, in four quarters. Only the half of it should be your carbohydrate. You talk about your pap, you talk about pasta, you talk about uh, rice and so forth. The rest should be vegetable and protein. 
unfortunately we know very well that in our 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 society the staple food for many of us is pap and sometimes because there's very little in the family almost 90% of the plate is 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 is, is just pap as a result of that that person will have high level of glucose in the in 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 their blood and as a, to store that glucose the body needs to 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 to, to store it as fat and that's how we we, we we gain weight if we don't spend it as as energy sources either from exercising or from going on our activities so the challenge is that once you realize if you can pick up for yourself those symptoms you need to go to a healthcare facility so that you are checked unfortunately that doesn't always happen that's why as a as the department of health they should be running not only awareness campaign but also screening campaigns either at the community but also at the facility for example your nurses and doctors should be on the lookout this person seems to be ticking the boxes in terms of body mass index in terms of age and so forth and so, and so on and so forth as i'm going through doing for example a prescription for hiv medication or a prescription for hypertension medication let me also test for glucose and, and, and for diabetes because you never know it might be the case so this is how we can pick up those cases and make sure that we have limited people uh, uh, being going and, and, and diagnosed mm. as we discussed you, you're raising the important issue of comorbidities which um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to to get mm-hmm. into, but that is one of the difficulties of uh, diabetes management um, for mm-hmm. for people in 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 sub-Saharan Africa. Indeed, indeed, it's very rare to find that a person only has diabetes. They had either diabetes and hypertension, diabetes and cholesterol problems, diabetes and hypertension and HIV and so on and so forth. So it's very rare to be isolated. That's why as public health professionals, we always call for an integrated uh, approach where you don't only look as a, at a person from the, 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 the perspective of the disease, but you look at a person who can be a person with diabetes, but also a person with hypertension and a person who is at risk of, for example, cholesterol. So you are right, the issue of comorbidities or multimorbidities is a, a very big topic in itself. And it's something that our healthcare providers and as the health system as it all as uh, as a whole should be paying more attention to. All right, I want to take this WhatsApp voice note on the issue of of diagnosis as we get ready to wrap this conversation up. Doctor, on diabetes, when is it that a person is declared diabetic? when the uh, blood sugar level fluctuates at times it is on 3.4 or 3.5 at times it's on 4.5 to 4.8 at times it at 5.7 or to 6 and there is this app that will show pre-diabetes diabetic and normal and it keeps on fluctuating now when does a person know that they are a diabetic dr patrick mm-hmm. that is a, a very important question 
I'll try to describe how the whole process is. You eat food, it gets broken down into glucose, and then obviously it gets transferred to the blood. And immediately, if at that time somebody tests your blood sugar, it would look high because obviously you just ingested food, you just ate it, you just ate. But in a normal person or in a person without diabetes, the insulin will be secreted and the blood sugar, although they have gone high, they will go back and go to what we call a normal range. So when, the, when you test for diabetes, it depends on whether the person has eaten two hours between the, the, the gap of the, the two hours uh, before the test, whether the person is sick or has any other issues. But once we do the first test and we realize that, okay, you have, uh, we, have, we call it fasting, you were not eating, we take a test, your blood sugar is high. That is not normal. If you have, have your meal two hours ago, right now your sugar shouldn't be high anymore. But it's not still a, a, enough to make a diagnosis. Usually, the healthcare provider will ask the person to come back to confirm the, pre, the, the initial test. So after two or three tests, that's when the diagnosis of, di, of diabetes is, is, is declared. It's not after one test and is through respecting certain circumstances. The person should be fasting and there shouldn't be other things that could influence the level of, of, of sugar in the blood. All right, we'll leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Dr. Patrick Ngasa Piotti, who is a senior program manager at the University of Pretoria's Diabetes Research Centre. So, if you do suspect, you know, if you're showing symptoms um, that you suspect might be linked to diabetes, it's better to go and get checked out because the long term risks of leaving it unattended, unfortunately, um, end up becoming so high. And, you know, there's a certain point where the damage done becomes irreversible. But if it's discovered early, you can start taking medication, you can start changing your lifestyle, and that could well prevent the disease from escalating.